excited to share with you a little bit from, from the Word this morning. Uh, we are reading through Gentle and Lowly as a church, and uh, in, our, in our small groups we're going through this book, so, so the sermons, some, some of them are based on these chapters, some of them are kind of companion to them, but uh, today I'm going over chapters 8 and 9 <coughs> in, in Gentle and Lowly just to kind of talk about something that is not really talked about very much. Um, two, there's two passages that we're going to be looking at today. One is Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, has the word intercede in it, and then 1 John 2, 1 has the word advocate in it. So Hebrews 7, 23. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for them. You know, to intercede means to come between two parties in effort to reconcile them, to come between two parties. And uh, it says Jesus, as a high priest who lives forever, always lives to intercede for the saints. Today, this is what we're going to be focusing on, talking about this idea of, of intercession. First uh, John 2.1, we may not get to this today, but I wanted to read this passage as well. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Intercession is coming between two parties and working things out. Uh, here it says that Jesus is an advocate with the Father. An advocate is, is an even more, ex putting yourself out there even more. In other words, Jesus joins on God's side and walks towards us in relationship. That's what that means. To advocate for us. So if God and us are separated, not only is Jesus interceding for us, becoming between the two parties to reconcile them, but he's also functioning as, as he loves us so much, he desires this fellowship so strongly, he functions as an advocate. That's why sometimes I think in this book uh, the author stretches the language a little bit just trying to describe you know, this, this, the passionate heart of God behind these theological ideas. So that we're not misunderstanding what's going on here. It's because God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, it's because God loves the world that he sent Jesus. Just because we need to be reconciled to God, it doesn't mean that, you know, it, what, what, uh, it doesn't mean that God, that God is against us. You know, God is so for us that he sent an advocate. Not only an intermediary, not only a inter interceding priest, but an advocate to, to pull these two parties together. And, you know, Jesus comes and, 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 and connects us to our salvation in God. This idea of intercession or, or advocate, but mostly intercession, I've talked more with people in this church about this idea uh, we went through this book than any other idea in the book so far. It's something that people are genuinely confused by. What does this mean to, to me that Jesus is a priest who always lives to intercede for me? So I really want to try and make an effort to grasp what the author is saying in the book and what we think the, the word is saying to us. You know, it makes sense that, you know, these chapters can raise a lot of questions uh, because we're struggling from, and someone pointed this out in, in, in small group, we're struggling as people who are bound by time to interact with a God who is not bound by time. 
So sometimes when we're, we're reading passages, we're, we're surprised to see that something is either in the present tense that we thought was in the past, or something is in the past tense that we thought was more in the present. Here's the example of that is Ephesians 2.6. Now this is one of the, this is a verse I actually, you know, I call this the, the Ephesians 2.6 prayer. The, the Ephesians 2.6 experience, okay? This is what I'm calling it for new life. This is the year of Ephesians 2.6 experience. Um, what this passage is, this is one of those su- surprising passages where it says um, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 2.6, we're, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead to transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So when I say I pray this prayer, at times of, at times of discouragement, at times of insecurity, at times where I'm, you know, just, just feel, feeling, feeling like I need a touch from God, I will pray, God, Ephesians 2.6, I believe your word is true. It says I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms already. You've got this figured out already. You, you, you know the beginning from the end already. And it just centers your faith so much to, even, to think about something like that in the present tense, that we are seated with Christ. It's such a sure thing that's as if it's already happened. It's as if when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, that he brought us with him and just seated us in the heavenly realms already in Christ. But that's an interesting thing. You know, it's, it's present tense verse. We expect it to say, talk, talk in, the, in the future tense, right? Um, another passage and, th- and this is kind of the, the, uh, the tension of the already, not yet kingdom. We are already saved. We are already seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. These are all truths, but it's not yet fully fulfilled. We see seeds, but we don't see necessarily the plants coming out of them yet, right? Romans 5, 1 to 5, important that we understand this one. Um, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that's past tense, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's uh, present tense. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, present tense, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. So there's all kinds of different, different timing issues here. It says we have been justified. That's a past tense promise. We've gained uh, access by faith into this grace in which we now stand in our present day. Um, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is kind of a past and present reality. All these things coming together. So I think time, time and, 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 and tenses of things can confuse us when we're reading the word. Um, so aside from speaking of time with our, our creaturely limitations uh, firmly in place, you know, another reason that these chapters have raised questions have to do with the fact that the, there's a sparse treatment of the idea of Jesus being an intercessor for us in the Bible. It's not like it's, it's not everywhere. It's, it's mentioned a few times. It's certainly there in, in concept and idea, uh, and you learn about these things. But um, it's not like like the doctrine of justification, which is like in every, just oozing out of every page and story in the Bible, and it's so clear, like Romans 5, 
um, talking about us being declared righteous before God in Christ. It's not like that. It's, it's only found in a few places. So we have to kind of take what the Bible has given us and understand what it's saying for itself. So let's look at this, this passage, uh, Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, talking about uh, the priesthood. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continue, continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely, that means forever, for all time, to the uttermost, if you read the book, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Now before, before reading these chapters, I had not really considered carefully what Jesus is actually doing in the heavenly realms. I mean, I, I've heard this verse before, but I, I wasn't sitting around wondering what Jesus was up to. Um, I've always felt that Jesus did such an amazing thing in becoming, uh, becoming a person, becoming embodied in Advent, uh, living a perfect and sin, sinless life, which he did, despite great temptation, giving his life up on the cross to pay for the sins of his friends, for his enemies. It seems like Jesus has done enough right? But the Bible says that Jesus is now ascended to the right hand of God and continuing to minister before God for us. Jesus' work is not done. Maybe it's already done, but not yet complete, right? Already not yet. Jesus' work is not done. Jesus is interceding for you and I in heaven, in the heavenly realm, before God, always. He's always there in our relationship with God. Jesus is interceding for us in real time. Like that show 24. Dun, dun. Like, real life, God is interceding for us in real time. He always lives, always lives to intercede for his people. When I talk to, uh, to most of you in the church, we, we come to this idea, when we think of intercession, we're talking about prayer. Someone praying on our behalf. Someone praying in the present tense who hears about something going on in our lives. And I think that's true. Um, that's part of what intercession is. But it's not all of what intercession is. I don't think. Um, prayer I mean, first of all, it's just an amazing thought to imagine. Jesus is currently praying for you and your life right now. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, he is aware of your life, and he's praying for you. He's interceding for you. So we think of prayer, and that's correct. Someone is praying on our behalf. Um, salvation, you know, we, it's a finished work of God on our behalf. That's past tense. We have been justified. Jesus has justified us or declared that we are righteous through the cross. It's happened. So what does Hebrews mean by talking about Jesus being able to save completely to the uttermost any who come to God through him? And first, let's look at that finished work of Jesus. Just, just, just try to encapsulate this as succinctly as we can. The Bible describes in many places and in no uncertain terms the gospel of truth of justification by faith. If you read church history, you can see this doctrine coming in and out of favor as, as the time goes, but it persists. This is the core doctrine of our belief. This is Christianity 101. 
Romans 5, once again. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, justification is what God did for you, for me, for anyone who comes and looks to Jesus on the cross for their salvation. It's, it's a legal term most of the time that means that your debt of sin has been paid for completely by another person. And you've been declared justified, even though you are a sinner. And we, we, are, we have been declared justified by God through faith in Jesus' sacrifice of atonement that he made on the cross. Atonement is a fancy Christian-sounding word that means covering. So just like when Adam and Eve were in the garden and, and they realized they were naked after they sinned and God compassionately gave them clothing to wear and covered their shame, if you will, or covered, covered, covered their, their bodies so they didn't feel shame, rather. Um, you know, in the same way, God has provided a covering for all of us weary, naked, and poor sinners, to put, to put it, you know, to put it mildly. Um, and he's covered us, covered our shame over with the, the atonement of his blood. We are declared not guilty, justified by God through faith in Jesus' sacrifice of atonement, of, of covering. This is, as I said, the deepest basic truth of reality as a, as a Christian and what we believe is the reality of the world. You know, all people have been born into sin. All have continued to sin <laughs> by choice the minute they were old enough to do so. We know this. All have fallen short of God's, God's glory and standard of holiness. I say all this with a smile because I know the good news. That's so such a powerful thing. But God so loved the world, he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus. And Jesus didn't come just to teach and model the faith. He didn't come just to be an inspiring prophet or teacher. He had a very specific mission that only he could fulfill in coming to the earth. Did he teach and model the faith? Absolutely. But he also came to offer his life as a sacrifice for sin. That was his mission. That was his calling. That's why he kept on moving towards Jerusalem at the end of the Easter narrative. Because he's moving towards his destiny. Uh, before the foundation of the world, God had made a plan that Jesus would give his life so that we could be justified. Jesus offered his sinless life to death on the cross in order to pay the price for our sins. We're covered in the atonement Jesus' blood has done for us. We've been declared not guilty, justified through faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Um, I, would, I would go as far as to say if these are not things that you, that you believe and know in your heart, these are the core of what it means to be a Christian. So these are really important things to, to, uh, to look at. Um, and if, if this is something that's confusing to you, I'd love to talk, talk, it, out, talk it out with you. Uh, and many other people would as well. But we have been justified by Jesus' atoning blood shed on the cross as an offering for our sins. So the question is, that's in the past, that's something Jesus did for us in history. Um, what is Jesus doing when it says he's interceding for us? Present tense in Hebrews 7.25. Jesus is able to, where it says Jesus is able to save completely forever to the uttermost those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. 
Maybe this doctrine of divine intercession is one of the ways God has promised us that he will never leave us or forsake us in the real time of our lives. Jesus says in Hebrews 13, I will never leave you or forsake you, quoting from Deuteronomy 31. In Matthew 28, he says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. This intercession of Christ, I think, is, is, is um, rooted in these realities of that God has promised to, to be with us. God has saved us completely through justifying us on the cross so that we are declared not guilty before God. And we receive this gift through belief and faith. But God is not only a God who worked in the past. And Jesus still lives at God's right hand in the heavenly realms interceding for us. Perfectly applying the finished work of his atonement to our lives moment by moment, day by day. Jesus works and intercedes for us coming between us and God and applying the completed work of his atonement onto our lives each day as we walk with God moment by moment. Jesus is not just a past Savior, he's a present Savior. and He will also be a future Savior when you are declared not guilty before the throne of God. But Jesus is a, is a present Savior. He prays for you in heaven now. He still loves you and goes after you like he did when you first came to Christ as your good shepherd. He hasn't stopped doing that. He delights to apply his finished atoning work to your life in new and surprising ways. I'm convinced of this. Um, some of our faith stories you hear this, that you know, God met me when I A, B, and C. You were surprised to meet God in this place. Uh, Jesus loves to apply his finished work to your life and loves to bring life out of death, beauty out of ashes. Therefore, because of God's great passion, Jesus intercedes for us to this end. It's not exactly the same thing, but this concept of intercession reminds me a lot of when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And I know uh, this, is, this is something that, as I was praying about this text, God definitely, I, I, felt, I felt like this is a good application of what it means to uh, intercede. So, in Matthew 4, 1-11, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Every time that Satan tempted Jesus, Jesus answered Satan with the truth of God's word applied to each unique temptation that he was being confronted with. So Jesus had mem memorized Bible verses prepared to answer all of the tempter's accusations in real time. And whether Satan was physically standing next to him, he could see him, or was heard as an internal voice, I think this is not the first time that Jesus had been tempted with these things. He had an answer for each one of those temptations that he had developed through um, his time in the Word of God. And even the Son of God needed that, needed that. So how much more do we need that in our lives? But Jesus, uh, with Satan in the wilderness, he had these memorized Bible verses to prepare all the accusations, to come against all the accusations, and he prevailed. He prevailed and the angels attended him. This is how I think we're supposed to think about Jesus' intercession on our behalf in the heavenly realms. You know, is Jesus applying his finished work on the cross in real time to your life's unique situations that you find yourself in? So, um, it is, it is Jesus Christ who answers um, anytime I'm accused of something. These things you accuse Nathan of, they're true, but my atonement is enough for Nathan. 
That's something Jesus would say. And that feels very much like that temptation in the wilderness, refuting, refuting the, the lie with the truth of God. Jesus makes a case for us based on his own completed work on the cross. And Jesus' answer turns away every accuser, whether you're accused by Satan, by your own self, your own overactive conscience, your own heart, or whether you're standing in God's presence just feeling the conviction of his holiness, and you realize, you know, my good deeds are really like filthy rags compared to God's holiness. When you're in that place, um, Jesus makes a case for you based on his completed work on the cross. Now, these things you're accusing Nathan of, they're true. Maybe your heart is right. Maybe your conscience is right. Maybe Satan is, is speaking to you. Maybe you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. It's true. But my atonement is enough for Nathan. And actually much more than enough to cover all of us. I think that Jesus intercedes for us in, the, in this kind of way of sharing truth in real time and going after things that we don't fully understand with all of his um, being. A much more, a much more um, powerful and riveting picture of intercession is Jesus uh, when he went up to the Mount of Olives in John 8. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. He sat down to teach them. Teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus is interceding for this woman before her accusers. Has no one condemned you? No one, she said. Jesus is our, is our intercessor. He's still ministering like this as an intercessor, even though he's no longer physically present on earth apart from his church where he is very much present. Whatever accusation can be floated against you, you know, Jesus has a gentle answer in the heavenly realm that turns away wrath. Um, maybe we've dragged ourselves before God and accused ourselves of all the things we've done. You know, there have been people in history that have d done that and felt very guilty like they needed to punish themselves to pay for their sins. Maybe we've dragged ourselves before the mob. Um, maybe we've dragged uh, Maybe we've been dragged before God's presence by, by an unfriendly crowd of people that are accusing us of things that are not true or sullying our reputation. You know, maybe we've been dragged before the God in this place uh, by the devil, by the accuser of the church and demonic powers. All these shouting, shouting at the top of their voice about our sins. No matter how you found your way into this situation, um, 
with the angry mob, whether you brought yourself there, whether, whether Jesus led you there, or whether it was a trap of the enemy, uh, this is the moment of judgment before God. And you brace for the worst. But Jesus gently says, open your eyes. Where are your accusers? Where did this pile of rocks come from? Um, we open our eyes, we notice these piles of rocks that have been dropped by the crowds as they walked away. And we slowly snap into the reality that we are standing before Jesus all alone in this place. Has no one condemned you, my child? No one, we say. But neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the nature of intercession. It's Jesus coming between us and an accuser and answering every accusation that's thrown our way with his finished work on the cross. It's not, forgive him now and Nathan will do better next week. It's Nathan's been trying for a lot of weeks to do better. <laughs> and it's not happening. So, I'm going to free him instead. Neither do I condemn you. Whether we accuse ourselves, whether other people accuse us, whether we're convicted by the holiness of God, whatever that accuser may be, Jesus replies the same way. You know, my finished work of atonement has covered all of your sins. And then Jesus looks me in the eyes and says, now go and leave your life of sin for crying out loud. And I'm here to intercede for you next time you need it. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, this book, Gentle and Lowly, has taught us about the deceptiveness of the human heart, you know, which is something that made us all feel very defensive because we disagree. But that's just the book revealed to us. That's because you're a sinner. You can't see yourself straight. Um, the book has done a good job of, of uh, teaching us that we, we deceive, ourse deceive ourselves easily. And the reason we are always deceiving ourselves and defending ourselves and denying our sin is because of our sin. There's no way to wiggle out from the reality that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But let us never view this scripture without its concluding remark in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You know, the human heart can be very deceptive and untrustworthy. We're always justifying ourselves. We tend to be very understanding of ourselves and generous towards our own selves and believe in the best of our own intentions. We tend to do all that because of our sin, right? We, we tend to pretty ourselves up. Yeah, but we're defensive people. We defend, our, we defend ourselves internally. We have fake conversations with other people in our heads. Um, but really, the, the most uh, you know, defensive person I've ever met is Inho. Do you feel that? You feel you need to defend yourself there? Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, we're, we're very defensive people. Um, but for anyone who's in Christ, the good news is you do not need to spend the energy on defending yourself anymore. It takes up a lot of energy, and most of us don't even realize when we're doing it anymore. It's just time to simply own life and say, yes, I did that. Yes, I'm still doing that. What the people say about me in this crowd is correct. What God has said about me in his word is correct. Surrender. And once we have admitted this fact, we can leave the 
the defending work to Jesus, who is our intercessor in heaven, who always lives to make intercession for us in the heavenly realms. So let the enemy say what he wants. Let our consciences, our own hearts accuse us. Let our convictions come at us. And let's leave it to Jesus Christ, our intercessor. He has an answer to every accusation thrown against you. And that word is based not on our track record or our holiness or our righteous deeds. Um, his reply is to perfectly apply his finished work on the cross to every accusation. The intercession is Jesus applying his finished work of atonement in real time to his prayers for us in the heavenly realm. Making intercession for us, applying his finished work of atonement, his covering in real time to his prayers for us in the heavenly realm. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your intercession of us at God's right hand. That we don't have to defend ourselves, but you will defend us that we would come to understand the gospel of grace. That we'd be able to take hold of the freedom, the liberty that you've given us in the Holy Spirit. Pray your blessing upon the church, Lord, as they as we break fast today. Pray your blessing upon the food, the hands that prepared it. Draw near to us today, God, and let us continue to draw near to you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.